Welcome to Making Comics, a podcast exploring the comics process from two different perspectives. Oh, actually, three different perspectives. I'm Scott Loss, the creator and artist of The Second Shift and Wanders of Milisanda for the Accidental Aliens. And I'm Keith Foster. I write the comic Kadoja, as well as the upcoming comic Three Protectors. And like I said, we have a third person in here getting another perspective. Uh, he is the creator, writer, artist of Dinosaurs versus Mars Bots, 1975-1997, and the upcoming 1979. We've got the, the very cool, the very swag, the very uh, lion taming, or should I say cat taming, Gary Hodges in. Yeah. Wow. I, I mean, that. what a great intro. Thank you so much. That was, yeah, that was yeah. Great. Uh, for the people, uh, the viewers, or the listeners. Yes. Uh, yeah. Gary has a, a very mellow cat in the background. My- the special we, guest. We actually have, I guess, four perspectives today. We have, uh, this is Louie. Louie okay. is a retired Tomcat. He was out there in alleys fighting and other effing. And uh, <laughs> someone trapped him and fixed him. And I found him in a shelter and I decided he was my new boy. So nice. we're yeah. chilling. Yeah, yeah, he's super he chill. Just, he is chill as hell. He's, yeah. a, he's, a, he's a warming, soothing presence. As if you weren't a warming, soothing enough presence. We've got your cat just like, Sitting there in the background, barely moving, only blinking his eyes now and again. It's comatose. I like it. Sounds good. Okay. So, uh, all right, Gary, we've had you on before, and uh, you were in a location where you had to drive to, so you're unable to partake in the weekly beverages that we like to do on this show, but you are home this time. Uh, What are you drinking, my friend? Well, I'm very excited about this. This is apparently, uh, it's the brewery is called The Brewery. It's spelled a little funny. It's B-R-U-E-R-Y. And it's an imperial stout. It's their oatmeal cookie. It's imperial stout brewed with oats, aged in bourbon barrels with raisins, cinnamon, granola, and other natural flavors. I'm very excited about it. I've heard good things, but... I'm going to be sipping this thing with the respect it deserves because alcohol content, 10.2%. Oh, and it's Gary, kind of a tall can too. Like it's Gary's, Gary's not fucking around. Dude, it looks, um, yeah, look, I mean, it's the first time I'm drinking on the pod, so I want to come strong. But like I said, I'm going to be very careful. Very, like very it. careful. And uh, Keith, that sounds like something you'd be interested in. I they got some bourbon barrel it in totally- there. It totally is. And actually, I want to I want to do a quick thing before I get to mine, which is um, we so Scott and I, uh, I was in San Diego last weekend and because uh, what my kid was fencing and um, and I wanted to like I talked my wife into this place that Scott and I had actually been to a place called Juan Paseo. So after after that, we went to Juan Paseo and I went to Harland, which is almost like an adopted brewery of the podcast. And I said to Scott, hey, uh, you know, dude, there's this great new beer at Harland. Um, and it was, uh, God, what the, it was birthday cake stout, dude. It was so good. It was so good. It's like eating confetti cake in a stout. It was amazing. But, uh, but the fun postscript to that is Scott's like, dude, I'm at one Paseo right now. (laughs) So, so he and his girlfriend were there. So we just did a very quick hello with my wife, my kid, he and his girlfriend. So uh, that was kind of funny. Yeah, it was kind of fun. And, uh, I'm, I'm like, I kind of speed through text sometimes, like if, especially if I'm in the middle of something. And uh, I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, she's like, oh, well, who's that? I was like, oh, it's Keith. He's, he's at, uh, he went to ha- a Harland and uh, he's talking to me about this beer. And then she goes, oh, he, he's at one Paseo. 
And then I was like, no, no, there's more than one Harland. I'm sure he's at a different location. She goes, no, look right there in the text. It says he's at one Paseo. I was like, oh shit, we're there right now. So uh, yeah, if it wasn't for her, I would have completely missed that. And, and yeah, when yeah. it got that little reaction. Yeah, so, so, I, I, I say, so me, I really, really wanted to drink a stout tonight, but it is, it is 90 degrees here. Um, although in Arizona, it's probably that in the winter. I don't even know, Gary. But, um, and so for, for our overseas friends, I did my best Celsius. I think it's about 32, if I remember right. So it's, it's up there. Um, so uh, I, I wanted to drink a stout, but I went with this thing that I've had before. I got two of it. It's bird day, um, like birthday, because it's from Gigantic Brewing, a, a brewery I like in, in Portland. Mm. or Oregon at least. And it is a tangerine golden ale aged in mezcal barrels, mezcal barrels. And I liked it because it packs a little bit of a punch at seven. Um, but it's also a, a, a full on like 17 ounce, 16, you know, a pint basically. So, uh, so I'm rocking that man. We'll see how it goes. It's not, it's not the heavyweight that that Gary's bringing to the table, but it'll do. Let me tell you, I'm already intimidated. I've had about four sips. It's delicious. It tastes like a very cinnamony oatmeal cookie. Oh wow! But it also has like a ten percent alcohol burn. Like I can, I can already tell. Yeah, yeah this is Good. this is scary stuff. So that's that there. That's that goes hand in hand with wonderful podcasting. So yeah. that'll be great. As it goes on, it's just going to get better. Yeah, uh, I am continuing the trend of the last couple of weeks. So I'm revisiting uh, our good old friends at Four Fifty North Brewing. Uh, they do not like to put their alcohol content on their cans. So this is week three of not knowing how much alcohol I'm taking in. Uh, it is another slushy situation. Uh, Louis Fruton slushy XL is what it's called. And there's a picture of a Louis Vuitton looking bag on the can. Mm. Hence the name. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's what I'm drinking. It's, it's pretty good. Honestly, it's in line with the other two. They're not sour. It claims to be a sour. It's not a sour. It's just a, the slushiness chills that all out. And, and it's fine. It's fine. Um, one thing before we hop into the things that we've done. So, Keith, last week, and Gary, I'm sure we've talked about this or have you heard us talk about this. It is the, the writer version of Drawtober. And, uh, Keith, it is uh, Nano Rhyme No Mo or some shit like that, right? Uh, okay, so I screwed it up, I think, right? Because it was... I think I, on the podcast, I thought it was Narinoma, and it's Nanorima is what it okay. is. Okay, okay. National Novel Writing Month is what it is. Okay. Why is it not just called Novel November? <laughs> Why is it just not called Novel November? It's not I, like love, I love the fact that you're just not, not done with it. <laughs> because it's stupid. <laughs> like, like, a bunch of writers came up with Nanorima. Instead of novel November, it's not like we call Drawtober National Draw an Image based off the prompt month. You know what I mean? Like it's doesn't roll off the tongue. Well, first of all, it would be like Nidurop, right? So it doesn't even have a good vowel thing. It's kind of like it'd be like a Lovecraftian invocation if you put that many consonants <laughs> in a in an in an acronym. You know? right. But uh, look, man, I, I didn't write the fucking thing. What do you want from me? I mean, we're workshopping it right now, apparently. That's right. All right, I'm, uh, it's official. This artist is changing it. Novel November, way easier. Okay. Novel November. There nice. we go. All right. So I started off. I'm the host. That means Keith, you are first up, my friend. What'd you do this week? Rock on, man. So uh, what I've done this week really boils down to what I've done in the last few days, 
which is it's it's a bit of a it's a bit of a weave, right? I was getting ready. I'm starting to get ready for the convention crush I have at the end of the month. So by my count, this is going to air on November 22nd. This Friday is Comic-Con Special Edition, which I am going to be at. The week after is Emerald City Comic-Con, which I'm also going to be at. So in the process of that, I was, I'm getting some banners ready because I'm going to change my backdrop. What I used to have with a backdrop is kind of a black like nylon thing and then i would magnet all my prints on there so you can just see all the prints well it's time to move on from that prints are going to be on the table it's fine they're not going to take my valuable real estate behind me so i'm going to do banners of kadoja and also of three protectors i've decided with keithrfoster.com at the top because it's time for me to go from being a kadoja writer to keith foster a person who writes projects and one of them is kadoja Slight flip, but a huge flip. So in, in doing that, I'm doing all the banners. And I, I've been talking about something. I think, you know, you said something about Ashcan, which is in your Kickstarter, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, and then I was like, you know, I might just have enough time to get a Kickstarter ready by Emerald City. So I, I did. Um, and I'm hoping Ash that I'm going to be... Huh? Ashcan or Kickstarter? An Ashcan. Okay, you said I have a, I'll, I'll be able to get a Kickstarter going. I'm like, oh shit, you're doing Kickstarter too? You know, I'd love to blame this, but it's 7% and I'm just stupid, <laughs> you know. I will say though, that I got my uh, vaccine booster this afternoon. Oh, so uh, so we'll see how that goes. You know, the yeah, great thing is- fog I, brain maybe. Yeah, I mean, and I, I heard there was microchips in it, which it sounds pretty cool because I've been having a lot of computer problems lately. <laughs> I just uh, got done with going through the booster. And I okay. hope you have a better go of it than I did. I was, it kicked my ass. There which, was, which booster did you do? Pfizer. All three okay. have been Pfizer. Okay. But so my, I'm, I'm on the, I'm on the J and J train. Sorry, go ahead. I'm, well, my hours 12 to 24 post shot mm -hmm. were a long, rough road, man. It was, it was some bumpy, horrible, man. I couldn't believe how bad I felt, but I what, still, what did you get? What, what's was your, what was your side effects? Uh, I woke up. In the early morning hours, shivering, teeth chattering chills, like oh, wow. just unbelievably cold. And I am never cold. Now, I mean, I'm in Arizona, never, ever, ever. <laughs> uh, shivering, 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 and body aches, full blown body aches. Got up, put on pajamas, you know, like, like to try and warm up, even though it's probably like, you know, 80 here. Uh, got under the covers, felt a little bit better, woke up later that day, late morning, and it just, it felt like you had full blown flu. Like I had just a pounding headache, uh, body aches, alternately hot, cold, and it just did not let up. But just like when I got the second shot, almost magically, <laughs> 24 hours later, you go in the span of 30 minutes from thinking, this is unbelievably bad to like, oh, you know what? I think I feel okay. It just, it suddenly lifts. The only analogy I have is like uh, that moment when you realize you're not drunk anymore. Like all of a sudden you're like, oh, wait a minute. No, I'm okay. I think I can drive, you know, like a bit, but 15 minutes ago, you felt totally fucked up. That's kind of how it was like, you're, I was sitting there under the covers, like this is miserable. And yeah, all of a sudden it's like- That's a equivalent to a hangover for me. It's like, I'm hung over until maybe 7 p.m. the next day these days. Kids out there, the older you get, the harder it is to bounce back. So I'll be recovering at like seven to eight at night. And then out of nowhere, I'm like, oh, I'm fine now. Yeah. 
yeah, it's like that. It's like all of a sudden it just clears. And yeah. so that's how it was for me. So hopefully yeah. you have a better go. Well, we'll see. Let me ask you a quick question. Sure. Are those side effects the same side effects you had after your second shot? That was going to be my follow-up, yeah. Little different. Uh, first, the, 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 the second shot, the, the body aches were the same. I didn't have the fever chills effect. The other thing that I left out this one, but we're all grown-ups here. We're all adults. I'm drinking a 10% beer. A lot of gastrointestinal distress, this, this third one. I don't know what changed, but that was actually the first thing I noticed. When I went to bed that night, I was like, well, maybe I need to hit the, hit the head, maybe hit the restroom a little bit. And I could tell like something is desperately wrong in the, in the old intestinal tract. Something's wrong. That was another thing for about a solid 24 hours. And then that also just vanished. That was new. That was weird. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So for me, the first time, uh, like you, I think I got my first one at 1130 AM. This mm-hmm. one, I got at 1250 PM, one o'clock, something like that. Yeah. And I was fine until the next morning. I woke up with a pretty bad headache and I felt sort of like shit is the best way to put it. Sort yeah. of like shit. And so it, look, I expect that I'll have that happen again, some variation of that, but we'll see. Because yeah. I did my reading, because I I'm, I'm I was fluid to get any of the three boosters, and while J and J is the one that may be the weakest, although it's still pretty strong, it also is the lowest side effect. So uh, so we'll see we'll see how I do. No no problems yet. That's anyway, what's yeah kind of fascinating is the variability. Like I have friends yeah. who did it, and all they had was like pain at the injection site, and that was yep. it. my Other my way. wife pro, my parents pro. So maybe maybe I'll get a good break with that. Yeah. yeah, I got I got zero, no side effects. Um, oh, yeah. no, I did, I did. So the thing I did get, I was worried about the chills and all of that stuff. What I ended up getting is fog brain. And uh, we actually did a pod that night, I believe. I think we we recorded. And I was like, I can't remember words. <laughs> and I was just like, God damn, this beer is hitting. But yeah. no, it, um, and uh, one of my buddies was, uh, we were on a Zoom call the, uh, like a day or two later. And he, he was mentioning the fog brain and I was like, oh shit, I think I had that. I think, cause I didn't know that was one of the side effects. So um, he was like, yeah, I just, he goes, I was doing a presentation. I was the guest of honor speaking and I couldn't remember anything. And I was like, oh shit. <laughs> I was like, we were talking about comics and I sound like a moron. Yeah. <laughs> like more yeah. so than normal. Well, presentation. Yeah. That's like a bad dream. Like yeah, that's just exactly. the idea that like I have this presentation to give and now I can't remember words. Yeah. Totally. Totally. <laughs> All right, so back back to the main thing. Okay. Um, so I'm I'm uh, I'm getting my my banners and stuff together. I'm thinking about an ash can, and uh, I decided that yes, let's give this a go. If I get it by Comic Con Special Edition, great. If not, then I should have it by Emerald City. It is actually open on the screen right now. It's been a little bit of a scramble, and I expect that I will send off this finished ash can, eight page ash can of three protectors tonight. So. I am very excited because that means three protectors is becoming tangible. I'm going to do probably like a really limited, like 200 copies of it. That's it. And I might even, depending on how aggressive I am with energy, I might even number them. Right. But uh, so we will see. I'm excited. It's going to be inexpensive. I'm going to have it at at least one show and hopefully two, um, depending on shipping. And it looks pretty good. You know, it's black and white ash can. It's just, it's cool to see it. Lance Pilgrim and I have been going back and forth on things like logos and fonts he's going to use and stuff like that. And yeah, I mean, I'm scrolling through it right now. It looks, looks pretty good. I'm excited and I will send it off, you know, 30 minutes after we stop recording. 
there's something about the ash can that just brings me back to my my youth um they were running rampant in the 90s i thought they were so cool um i really do like in, uh collecting artist ash can or their artist sketchbooks but they're essentially ash can size format and everything um and that's kind of like my collectible thing that's not the normal comic market i just collect certain artists ash cans and and uh, i do love those so that's pretty cool yeah again i'm super excited to, to hopefully have it i expect that at because of the size of the booth i have at emerald city i'll be able to put up my Kadoja banner and my three protectors banner and the three protectors banner will actually be the cover of the comic where the ash can is going to be something different. It'll just be exciting to have that product be like, if you like it, here's an ash can, you know, a couple bucks and, and you can take it home and get a teaser of the, of the comic book and it's limited and I'll sign it and do it. Right. What so. size is uh what size is the booth? 10 by 10 at Emerald Ooh, city. Very yeah. nice. Yeah. I mean, I, I paid for that along like the, there were only 10 by 10 openings four or five years ago when I first got into Emerald city, maybe six, I don't know. COVID's thrown off my timing and I could never get onto that artist alley track. So I just, I just decided like, Hey, this will be my one treat for the year. And hopefully, you know, uh, I'll, I'll keep on building goodwill and, and, and getting it up there and, uh, and making the booth back. So it's all good, man. Yeah. Maybe next year uh, we can, we can tag team that. Maybe that'll help out like, hey. with the, you know, you get a travel yeah. mate, a table mate, and uh, we get to split save, some costs. That would be say cool. the word, brother. Yeah, man, let's do it next year for sure. All right. Okay, so uh, I'm gonna jump into mine. Uh, so it's kind of lengthy, so you guys feel free to pop in whenever you need to. Um, my Kickstarter is live. It is live now. It's going until December first. Uh, it was a Herculean task to get everything done in the span of what felt like three days um, on. Thursday. So my initial thought was, uh, hopping back to a couple of episodes ago, the initial thought was November, November 1st or November 5th. 5th came flying by. I was like, yeah, there's no way. Okay. So we're going to, we're going to do it on a Monday. Um, ideally Kickstarters are good to launch on a Monday. People are going back to work. They're at work. They're sitting on their phone. They're doing whatever they're doing. Right like Monday is usually a good day to launch a Kickstarter. So I said, okay, let's roll with that. It gives me three extra days to get my shit together. Um, in that span, I had to draw two covers, a flat one, go get, get it colored by my colorist, along with a secondary cover, which was a Kickstarter exclusive cover I got from another artist. So uh, there was a lot going on. I, and I'm flatting all of this stuff on top of drawing them. So it was definitely a task. And uh, I was also creating the, the graphics. So the reward tiers, you know, you have your $6 and you, you do all the visual prompts for that. You get it all right out and make it look nice. Uh, I was doing all of that stuff. The new, the new feature for Kickstarter is add-ons. It's, I think that within the last year, it's, it's, it, they were tinkering with it. Sometimes they would let you do it. Sometimes they would. And I think Keith, you got to do add-ons for yours. When I launched mine in February, they didn't let me do them. Uh, oh, no, no. I think I did. Get halfway through. Halfway, halfway through. through. That's right. Yes. Thank you. Um, yeah. Halfway through, uh, I was able to do add-ons. But when you're doing all of that stuff, plus the add-ons, it is a lot, especially if you have a lot of books. Apparently, I have a lot of books. So I was doing all of these add-ons and I was like, holy crap, this is taking forever. And I felt like 
I was eating lunch and then I was working on graphics. I was eating, you know, eating dinner and then I was drawing a cover, you know, it was just nonstop for uh, three to four days of doing that. And I, I love Joaquin, my colorist so much. Joaquin Pereira, he's, he is the best because I sent him two covers over the weekend. I said, can you give me these by Monday? And he gave them to me, he got them done. And uh, you know, thank goodness for him. So really happy about that. Um, let's see what else here. Um, I did the draw, uh, the Drawtober Ashcan cover. And uh, also I wrote the script last night. I wrote the script to Ed uh, for 12, which was the Drawtober turned into a fully formed comic. That's for second shift 12. Um, as mentioned before, I wanted to write the script of what I was thinking for the story and then send that over to Ed because he wrote his script. And uh, I mentioned I stopped reading it because I didn't want to be influenced by it. So I wrote mine. I sent that to him. And I said, how different was this from yours? And he goes, it was very different. Uh, he was looking at it like single images at a time, whereas I formatted it into pages and whatnot and then sent him, uh, you know, uh, had that to look at. But also I was one that was drawing it. I, I plotted the story. So I, I knew what everybody was saying without writing it yet. And so I just got to the point where I actually wrote it down and sent it to him. So uh, he already went over it. He did the combined effort, the collab on it, and it's fantastic. He jazzed it all up. It's way better than what I had. It's a lot of elements of what I had. Like the the, the story is the same, but uh, 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 Maestro Mentalo, his his dialogue is so much better. He is a Spanish character. He's in a conquistador outfit. So Ed wrote that appropriately. I did my best. Ed said he was reading it like Antonio Banderas and... Uh, I don't know how to take that. I was like, yeah, kind of, but like if he was a proper Spanish gentleman or something and he goes, yeah, but Antonio, he has a tendency to like very, be very dramatic and stuff. And he goes, it actually works pretty well. So, uh, but Ed has that Latin flair to him. So he, he spiced it up and uh, you know, it, it, it's fantastic. I'm really enjoying it. Rock on, man. That's awesome. That's awesome. That is a lot. You were right. That's a huge yeah. amount. It was yeah. a lot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so, Chaos. I mean, it sounds like, I mean, I thought I did a lot these last couple of days, but you've done even more. So, Oh, so dude, I have like four more things, but for just for time's sake, I'll kick that can down the road. We'll talk about it next week. Totally. And, uh, yeah. Gary, uh, what do you got? What, what was your big thing for the week? Uh, I mostly was working on two things. I, uh, as you mentioned in the intro, I'm gearing up to start drawing my third comic in the D vs. M series, D vs. M 1979. I've got the script totally written. I've got it totally thumbed out. Now I'm just trying to plan out my pages. So I'm trying to figure out like where are my big panels, my little panels, just you know, organize this all into layouts. I'm about halfway through the comic, you know, getting that. Once I get that done though, all that's left is starting to draw page one, you know, and then it's a page a week until the thing's done, which I'm hoping to be doing next month. That's the plan. I really like, uh, so I, I follow you online. I, I watch your YouTube channel for you people out here. We'll put it in the links. Um, we'll talk about it at the end. Gary has a YouTube channel that he does. And, uh, I like the visual element that you put up of how you lay your pages out. You have your, your, um, your turn pages uh, for your big reveals. And that's kind of how you plot your, your, your layouts out. Yeah. Right. I kind of build around that. <clears throat> I appreciate you saying that because I, um, you know, I've been doing videos about the making of my comics for 
as long as I've been making comics, so a few years now. And I've talked about page planning and page turns and that sort of uh, approach to structuring your comics lots and lots of times. And now I'm working on 79, I'm getting ready to talk about it again. It's like, how can I make this fresh? And I thought maybe it'll be fun to make it more graphic, you know, just to try and show some some visual aids on what that looks like to, to help illustrate what I'm talking about. And even though it was, as you guys I'm sure can imagine, a lot more work <laughs> to get that, you know, I mean, you're drawing all these assets and then you're animating them in Premiere and you're trying to make it look pretty and make sense. Uh, and you, you end up with a much shorter explanation because you have that aid of visuals. And I think it's much easier for people, especially non-creatives, to get what you're talking about. But yeah, basically the short version is, and I encourage anyone who's even sort of interested in in the process of making comics, seek out my YouTube, you'll find the video and check it out. It's a short video, it's about five minutes, I think. Um, The basic idea is you go through your script and your thumbs and you try to figure out where are my big reveal moments, my shock moments, my splashy moments, my flashy moments, something where I want to do a full page reveal, something where I want to do a big twist, whatever. Those panels, those pages, whatever you're talking about, should end up, in theory, on if you're looking at a two-page spread of a comic, should end up on the left side of your two-page spread. The idea being the reader turns the page and wham, they see something. It's not on the right side because the reader could be reading along and reading left-hand page and out of the corner of their eye, they're seeing things that are basically spoiling or diffusing those big moments. That's why you're trying to hide all your big, fun, exciting things right behind a page turn. So I go through and I figure out, okay, these are those big moments. And I at least plant flags on those little landmarks for my script and then build out everything around those. And that's how I decide basically how this, what's going to be on what page from my story. Yeah. Humans cannot help themselves. So if you do have a big image on the right side, like you said, in your peripheral vision, you'll see something and, and we can't just help ourselves and we'll have to turn and look to see what it is. And we always, we always spoil it for ourselves. It, it, we can't help it. 100%. If you're doing the comic version of Empire Strikes Back, Luke's hand has to come off right after the page turn. <laughs> it can't come off on the right side of the two-page spread where you're reading along, you're reading a sword fight, and all of a sudden, oh, like out of the corner of your eye, it's like, oh, he's going to get his hand cut off. It needs to be where you didn't even see it coming. So that's you're just trying to leverage all your... You know, you spend so much time on the writing. You spend so much time in theory on the drawing to really make all this stuff hit home. It would be a shame to undermine it by not really thinking about, well, how is someone physically reading a comic and looking at it? And are they seeing stuff when you don't want them to see it? Yeah, more importantly, drink up, world. We did it. (laughs) (laughs) Gary did it. Didn't even have to wait for Scott or I to do it. So that's pretty, pretty great. But uh, I did want to mention one thing, which is I can't remember. I think this was part of a talk he gave, but Scott McCloud talked about that as something that like this, this tendency of people to wander down the page sort of makes comics great in his argument, you know, that, that, that nature to spoil stuff. And like you guys are talking about as artists, you can control where the eye goes. And if you have anything that's sort of a big reveal, ideally you want to put it on the left. But I also think just part of that is the magic of comics too, that you you can't 
you can't kind of hold the reader back. You can't you can't jump scare them like you can in a movie, right? Where you can control absolutely everything about it. You can you can do so much, and yes, you could always have something killer once you flip the page. But uh, there is something sort of um, magical, like it or not, about uh, about the fact that you you we do read ahead. It's what we do. Well, real, and quick, I, real quick before we move on to stuff, hold your guys' cans up uh, to the, the screen if you can, because I forgot to get, let me try to. Cool. All right, all right. Okay, go ahead. Well, and I feel like the real masters, and I've seen examples of this in some comics, they don't, I, I think, you know, you think of the memes where they show like those progressing, like if you're good at something, if you're really good at something, if you're really, really amazing at something. I think with comics, people who are good at comics, they know how to funnel the reader's eyes around a page. I think people who should be doing master classes on comics sort of give that up and go ahead and design a whole page around the fact that I don't care where you look, it's going to work. You know, and that's what sort of, and I'm not at that level. I think a lot about how am I funneling the reader from left to right, top to bottom, and what are they seeing first and second and third, and I try to make choices based on that. Yeah, we just talked about that uh, on the last episode about um, uh, directional devices in your in your panels. So mm -hmm. just we know uh, American comics, you top left, go to the right, down to the left, to the right, right? Rinse and repeat. We know that, but like you said, uh, artists who are on a different level they know to put those directional devices to direct the reader when to when to point them back in another direction to slow them down certain artists know when to do that and then like you said there's other artists that go they're you know what i know what i'm doing you know they're working on a different level that we don't see like i was just reading a um i won't say the artist's name i was just reading a, a artist who's very well known very you know well established and i was looking for direction like i was just like i don't oh that's he's not using directional devices at all in this like so there's instances where you know you get to a certain level and you're like yeah i don't need to do that and it's, it's kind of an, it's an interesting choice so yes yeah i mean i i'm i'm obviously deep in the sandman weeds um and for me say a lot of sandman pages are throwing a lot at you which i think is pretty cool you know uh Sam Heath was doing a lot of that early stuff. And then I can't remember who, who moved on. I think Kelly Jones, maybe. I hope I have that right. But, uh, but anyway, yeah, it's, it's all, it's all some pretty amazing stuff with a composition oh, yeah. page. Sam Keith's compositions are nuts and that's just, it's a different level. And I'm, I'm thinking about that stuff more and more as time goes on. Like I'm, I'm having a lot of fun with laying things out like uh, the drawtober thing. What's interesting about it is you're, you're doing one image or in this in this case, I'm doing one image to create a comic book. So I need to think ahead to go, well, how will this format on a page? What which the the days before and after, how will that work with this page? Will will this page be a, a splash? Will this page be a, a panel, you know, working with the days prior and after? You know, so those are things that I have to think about. But also each image, I'm thinking about composition as, as you do when you're creating comic books. Each panel, you should be thinking about the composition and how that composition stands with the panels underneath it. Right, right. I mean, that's, 
Oh, you know, it's example number 403 of uh, things I didn't realize would be so complicated about doing a comic when I first started doing a comic. <laughs> you yeah, know, yeah. panel is really its own piece of art, you know, and then that also is going to have to fit. And so it needs to work, I think, personally, on its own. But then it also has to work in the collage of a bunch of other panels. Mm -hmm. you know and then that has to work on a two-page spread and that has to work narratively where you're going through it and you're not hitting some weird two-page spread that's derailing the reader i mean it it we might have picked one of the most complicated things <laughs> to, <laughs> yeah. to be doing i don't know yeah it's more in depth than people realize like yeah. like people don't understand how much stuff is going on and and uh yeah as a young artist i didn't know those things either like i look at previous issues that i've done of the second shift like the first first uh, few issues, you know, it's just like, whoa, I'm, I'm making some bold choices. It's like, oh, shit, I'm just really going for it. And so there's certain things about those early issues that I really admire about young Scott. It's like, whoa, you didn't know what the fuck you were doing and you didn't care. You know, you're like, let me try this out. And, and uh, some of it, some of it works, some of it works really well, and some of it doesn't. But the fact that I tried it is it, super cool. And it's actually, I went through a period where I was very, being very stagnant with my stuff. It was just like, hey, basics, you know, we'll, we'll just stick with the basics and the fundamentals. And this is how we're going to roll for a while because I was learning more. The more issues I did, the more I was learning. So then I was playing it safe. And then after I played it safe for a while, I'm like, OK, I think I think I take my my elbow pads and my knee pads off and I think I can you know, just ride the bike or whatever, or hop on the skateboard and not worry about it so much. So now I'm attempting more things, trying different things out. So it's just the evolution of an artist, you know, where you start and where you want to finish. So as long as you're progressing um, at all, you know, that's all that really matters. Agreed. Yes. So, yeah. So this week it was a lot of page planning. And then um, the other thing was, as you mentioned, I have a YouTube channel and I do a bunch of videos for it uh something i've only done twice now uh but i do enjoy doing and the fans seem to enjoy it i have a character analysis and uh or how it's like character design and analysis videos where i'll pick a particular character from d versus m and do a fairly long video they're usually about 40 minutes uh talking about everything basically from the earliest beginnings, the earliest idea of the character in my head, the earliest kind of sketch of what I think they would sort of be like, where they need to fit in the story, what kind of story I'm trying to tell. And then by the end of the video, we're getting really into, for the hardcore geeks of D versus M, for the people who really want to know everything, uh, really getting into backstory and little behind the scenes facts and little influences I had and explaining why I had them say this in this scene or why they look like this or whatever. Um, so the first one I did was several months ago. It was for a character from D vs. M 1997, Jenny Burke. I just got uh, the next one out, which is uh, the character Ruben Garcia, who's a, a man in black character in D vs. M 1975 and 97. So, and those, they take a lot of time. They're difficult to do, to get them just right and to make sure I never want to do a part two. I want to get it all out there. Like, this is everything I have to say about this character. Here you go. And there's editing and polishing and getting it just right. But I'm, I'm happy with it. That released a few days ago. So. Yeah, I watched it, uh, I believe, yesterday. I actually even sent it to Keith. And uh, uh, the, uh, the reason why I sent it to him, not only is it a fantastic video, I really enjoyed it. 
Well, me and Keith you. were talking about uh, the the little nuances you you think of about your characters. We've touched base on it recently. And it is actually the main topic for this week is character development. So you're the perfect person uh, to have on this episode uh, because of what you're doing right now on your YouTube channel. So um, it was a great video, by the way. I really enjoyed all, all of the little in-depth stuff. I was like, wow, he's really thought about this guy's entire life. It was, it was very amazing. Thank you. So I really appreciate that. Yeah, it was kind of crazy. I mean, when you guys said like, hey, we're going to do, do you uh, want to come on? We're talking about character development or character design, things like that. I was like, that timing is going to be perfect because <laughs> I just am finishing this video. So, but I pre thank you so much. I appreciate that. Yeah, I thought the same thing when I was watching the video. You know, like I was impressed because, you know, that's, that's, a, you have a level of backstory that I don't have on any of my characters, you know, and uh, I'm going to, you know, so I'm impressed by it. Um, and, and what I like about it is that, well, maybe that's not fair. You know, I keep on coming back. Something that I've been thinking about a little bit over these last couple of weeks mm -hmm. is how Ed stumped Scott by asking, what are your character's last names? <laughs> and, and like, I think in the moment, if I was Scott there, I'd have been like, I don't fucking care. Now, that, that was said, young Scott. That was definitely young Scott, by the way. Yeah, yeah if any, I mean, if but I ever I, asked I, me I, about I, it something about my characters that I didn't know. Yeah. It'd be like, whatever. I don't, I don't need to know that right now. They're fighting. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But I, and I think, you know, like, like everything, I think the real answer lies between, I think, I think it's important to be thoughtful about your characters. I also think that there's a sliding scale of knowledge that you want about your characters. The bigger the character, the, the more you probably want to know. And the lesser the character, the really less you need to know. It's still helpful to know, but it, it kind of slides down with uh, with each with each character. I think in terms of their relevance to the story. One hundred percent agree. And I, I would point out that um, you know, for anyone who hasn't read D versus M, they are very character focused stories. So you know, I I need to do more work on my characters and the depth. And it's not every single person that pops up in them either. It's the ones that like, uh, D versus M is an anthology sci-fi series. Each issue focuses on one particular POV, POV character. And those are the ones that basically I just put all my chips in and just like, okay, we really need, this person needs to really make sense and be really fleshed out. The other thing I would add is in a funny way, last name is sort of the least important thing. <laughs> You know, I mean, their first name is sort of unimportant because that's not who a person is. I mean, I would say, you know, their favorite movie is more important than what their name is. But yeah. Well, and, and that's, you know, what you talk about in the video there is you talk about where he grew up and, yeah. and how that influences how he feels about large place, large towns and small towns, you know, and how that drives everything forward. So, I mean, I think in terms of character development, we kind of hinted at this, Scott and I, an episode or two ago. It's make sure you know the relevant stuff. You know, uh, again, do I, we use the flavor of chips, right? It's not that, it's not necessarily that important to know what their favorite flavor of chips is. You know, it's, it's important to know the traits of theirs that make them do what they do in the context of this story. The other stuff. Are, can am I still helpful. with you? 
Yeah, we still hear you. I mean, we could see you. Uh, you're frozen. You're frozen for me now. Yeah, he did. Okay. Oh, there you go. My hair. Yeah, you unfroze. You unfroze. Okay, good, good. Okay. So what I is is Keith. I've frozen? actually been holding the same. Post oh, you've been just time. screwing around. Okay, fantastic. <laughs> okay. Yeah. The last I heard was like it's not important what flavor chip there are uh they they like no uh yeah so it, it was more so um uh yeah something along those lines but like you know the influences in their life i, I let me jump in there too though i'll mm -hmm. say and, and this is something i said in response to to keith last time we talked about this is the more fleshed out your character is the more you almost already know what the flavor their favorite flavor of chip is you know you know what kind right. of music they listen to the the in-depth analysis that you were giving on your character, it 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 makes it makes writing. I would imagine it makes writing that character so much easier. Like, and I have a bit of that with Ed because I know the second shift, the main characters so well that when I'm reading the script, I can tell what might be off with a certain dialogue on a certain character because I know them so well. So the how far you've gone along with this character like all the way back to his youth to the present. Um, and he's like, what would you say? He's like 27, 26, 27 or something like that. In, in, in the first, yeah, in 1975. Yeah, yeah so you he was know, born at 49, so yeah, he'd be 26. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so um, yeah, just, just knowing that much information that you gave, it's like there's a full-on scope of this character and writing, it must make writing the dialogue so much easier. It is. I, I boy, you've said a bunch of both. Of you guys have said a, both, a bunch of interesting things that I, I want to try and organize my response. Um, part of it, the reason I know those dates, some people might think that's weird. It sounds a little Rain Manny that I'm like, yeah, he was born in 1949. The only reason I know that stuff so so specifically is because I had a very strong feeling that he should be a war veteran. It's 1975. When would he have been in Vietnam? How old would he have had been to go to Vietnam? Like, I mean, it kind of narrows how old this guy can be. And that's just something I do need to dial in because if I say like, I don't know, he's 32, it just doesn't make sense anymore. Like with the backstory I've come up with, those are things where I need specific, yeah, I need that specificity. Um, on the point of like chips and you know things like that it's absolutely legitimate uh, I think like for example I think I make the comment in the video that Ruben probably smells like Old Spice <laughs> is that important absolutely not the point I don't is, know I kind of thought it was well I, mean, I, I don't I wouldn't say important but it was a very cool detail and it the devil is in that. the details. It does. Yeah. It, I mean, it's not unimportant, but I think the, the point is, and I wish I had said this in the video, is to know your what you were saying. Know your character well enough where someone can ask you something you've never thought of before, like you've never thought about before. And you have an answer because you know that guy so well. Like that is the key. And what is the point of that? What is the point of knowing Old Spice and played football in high school and went to Vietnam and all this? The point is when you have all that in your cooker and then you present them with challenges from your story, like the plot, you know how they will react because you know this person. That's the point of all this, I think. That's the point of designing this whole character is knowing, okay, well, now I'm going to put them in a situation. How would this person behave in this situation? Totally. Yeah, I mean, and that's, you know, to me, when you say something like, he smells like Old Spice, What's cool about that is that conveys a lot. 
right? Because when you say someone smells like Old Spice, what you are saying in general is that it means that the person either buys Old Spice cologne or Old Spice body products. But more importantly, what it says is they do their cologne shopping at places like Target, right? Or, or Walmart, right? So they care about how they smell, but they care enough to just grab some Old Spice at Target, you know, and uh, because then what that can then convey is, all right, well, they're, they're not that up in this. You know, if you said, you know, the person smells like some fancy ass fucking cologne that you can only buy at, you know, the fancy malls, now you're saying something else about the person. But more importantly, what you've done is you've picked the right detail. You know, if, if, if someone's to use the chips example, since we'll just keep on going back to that. I if like someone, the chips example. Yeah. What's that? I like the chips example. Yeah, let's well, let's rock yeah. let's rock the chips chips example, right? Like if you say someone's favorite chips are Lay's regular. Lay guess on. what? Guess what the number one chip on Family Feud would be if we surveyed how many chips people like. It would be Lay's regular. You know, it it might be my favorite chip. It's a lot of people's favorite chips. You want to know why? Because I don't fucking think about chips much. You know, like <laughs> if I if I want potato chips, I get I get Lay's regular, you know, right. but if you said someone's favorite chip is like, you know, the Charles chip special edition or something like that. I'm not sure that even exists. Some people might know what I'm talking about and some people might not. Charles chips used to be, I think, and might still be a door to door brand of potato chips where they would deliver that shit to you. Right. So but if you say that's somebody's favorite potato chip or chip, now what you're conveying is kind of a level of exclusivity and a level of elitism that comes with buying potato chips. And if you have a level of elitism around buying potato chips, you probably have a level of elitism about a lot of things, right? So it's it's about finding, you know, and this is something that comes up a lot in, in writing, especially on like the, the prose side, right? Finding that perfect detail. You know, you can spend a, a, a paragraph describing something, or you can even spend a nice text box in a comic describing something with a lot of interesting phrases, or you can spend 10 words with the perfect phrase, right? And if you spend 10 words with the perfect phrase, like he smells like Old Spice, which I think is a fantastic example of it, you convey a whole lot of information with a little bit and really do um, draw, you know, draw boxes around the things that are important about that character for the reader to cue in on. Yeah, I I think there's a with like whether it's Old Spice or whether like, for example, just talking about it, I think that man in black character, Ruben, I think he likes Fritos and corn nuts. I think that's the kind of thing he is. But that's but when you do stuff like that, it's a way to kind of bootstrap like a sense of a person because we've all met like it, it really shorthands. I think, though, there is a it has to be used judiciously where it very easily can slip into cliche and stereotype and like all that kind of just very hacky sort of writing. But I think sometimes, especially if you're picking something that's a little unconventional, that can really help a, a, a reader quickly get somebody. I would also point out that, you know, just for anyone who's listening, who's thinking about doing this, you're, pro you're not picking these character traits willy-nilly. You are constantly, you're coming up with stuff that you think is interesting and makes for an interesting person, but it's always in conjunction with the challenges you know you're gonna present them with. I usually am approaching it with the thought in the back of my head of, 
what sort of character would make these challenges really interesting you know and vice versa like what sort of challenges would be really great for this character i've written what would be something to really like would really hit them in the gut or would really catch them off guard or they would be perfectly prepared for you know they because they've been there before whatever it is i think you're always kind of building those simultaneously no that i mean that that makes uh, a ton of sense. Damn it, I had a thought and the 7% must have hit. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll let me hop in and say, once you said Old Spice, there's a certain type of person that gets popped into my brain. Like, like knowing he's only 26, I'm like, okay, he likes Old Spice. He's probably a dad. Like, I get a dad vibe off of that. And then you say Fritos and Corn Nuts. I'm like, oh, he's a meat and potatoes guy. So it's just, these right. are the, it's just the basics, you know? And, and that goes hand in hand with him being a vet, you know, it's just like, like you get you, it paints this image and, and the, those th things go hand in hand for sure. And that was, I'm glad I, I'm, I feel validated by you saying that because a lot of my composite of him was based on vets I've met where, and you know, there's all different types in the world, but generally speaking, a lot of the vets I met, they just seem older than their years. There's a maturity and there is kind of a, old school man dad vibe from a lot of these guys who especially if they've been overseas and especially if they were in in a war like they just you know and i that's what i was trying to capture with him there is even though he's 26 which to us and especially today sounds very young if i met a 26 year old i would think they were a kid in 1975 someone who came back from vietnam 26 is a man you know and i needed to really impress that yeah, that that's definitely a good point. Because uh, when you said twenty six on the video, I'm all, he seems so much older. But it's like when you used to watch the Wonder Years. I think the dad was supposed to be thirty or thirty five or something. I'm like, that guy's fifty five. Like, what the right. fuck are you guys talking about? But it was just a different time. And, and exactly, exactly right. You know, uh, twenty six year old coming back from a war back then, definitely a man. That's not someone figuring themselves out and basically just starting to try to become an adult. Right? Yeah, yeah, and, and something else, you know, I'm kind of combining a few things from your video, Gary, because I think since we're talking about character, I'm gonna try to bring everything back to character. But, you know, it, it was very interesting when you were talking about digging deep into what it was like into, so you, you kind of, so for people that haven't watched the video again, we'll put a link up to it. It's great. He spends a lot of time talking about if a man in black, if men in black exist, what are they really like? And so he proceeds to kind of eliminate a lot of what we view men in black as from the, you know, I'm just going to go from the Will Smith movie to the X-Files Jose Chung from outer space interpretation of men in black. I, I have to jump in. The all-time greatest X-Files. I mean, I can't, uh, Jose Chung's from Outer Space. By I far. I could watch that infinite number of times, never get bored. Okay, continue. I dude, 100% agree. It's by far my favorite X-Files episode, and I'm a huge X-Files fan. But, so good. But so he, what he does is he kind of, you know, goes through this whole thing and then gets to, it's a government job. These people, you know, it's it's not normal to us, but it would be normal to them. And he makes just this, elegant set of points that brings you into what he's talking about there with characters you know that's that's something to figure out uh to think about too and and gary talks in the video a little bit about you know inverting 
tropes, inverting stereotypes. And this is something that has been near and dear to me. And it's something that, you know, look, Gary has done in his D versus M books. It's something I've tried to do in Kadoja. And it's something that I encourage everybody out there to consider, which is how do you take a trope? You, you don't have to, you don't have to pick up the trope and throw it out a two-story plate glass window. Okay. Sometimes all you need to do is take a trope and turn it on its side, you know, give a slightly different angle. And this is something actually I forgot to mention that this past weekend I was uh, I was asked wonderfully to kind of uh, guest host uh, with a guy with Steve Rifle, who's a Godzilla author, an interview with Chris Mowry, who works for Toho now and wrote a bunch of Godzilla comics for IDW back in the day. And so we were talking about this a little bit about how if you write a giant monster story, there are characters you almost have to include by necessity. If you write a giant monster story and you you do not include people in the military, you are making a conscious choice about what type of giant monster story you are writing. 95 to 99% giant monster stories involve the military because if a giant monster comes up out of the ground right now, that is who's going to be on the front lines of it. We all know this. I think the movie, what is it, Colossal? You know, May, I didn't watch that movie, but I know that didn't really delve into that. I don't think. Again, I'm basing it on the trailer because I didn't watch it. Is that the but, Anne Hathaway movie? Yes, that's correct. No, yeah. it did not. It did not because I don't it think was, it did. I, I again it was it was intended to be a different kind of movie, you know. So so what you do is you you figure out if I have to deal with this trope, how do I do it in my own way? And so two tropes that I, I took kind of an active role in trying to at least put a slight seasoning on or a slight left turn on were number one, the military. How do I get around that? Well, the way I got around that was I created a fifth branch, special weapons division. And then the other thing was, how do I get around the trope of the president? Any disaster movie, we inevitably consult with the president. And I didn't want to consult with the damn president, you know? So I, th I thought, how can I get around consulting with the president? Well, I can make the lead one of the lead characters the presidential press secretary. Okay, so we're close to the president, but at least it's a different point of view and it, it gives a slightly different angle to things, right? So hopefully that worked, um, but it's, it's about figuring out ways that you can take tropes and, you know, look, if you want to turn them upside down and shake them, by all means do it because you can use the expectations of tropes to your advantage, just like you can use the expectations of character stereotypes to your advantage. Speaking of that, that's to what Scott and I talked about with, you know, the feedback I got from actual a couple military people, right? Where they were like, well, General Cruz isn't the type of general that does this. Okay, well, I'm inverting the stereotype a little. You can have fun with that if you think through it a little bit and at least have a clear vision of what you are looking to do. Uh, Gary, I, I was going to say, do you know someone like this character? Because when you were talking about him, I'm like, he's got to have an uncle or somebody that like that was so close to you. And and before you answer, if you don't, that's fantastic work. I like I don't want to I don't want us to stay on your video too much longer because I want everyone to go watch it. I don't want to dissect the whole thing, but uh, it's it, just such solid work. I was like, he has to have know someone like this. Uh, well, because you said it would be fantastic work if I said no, then absolutely not. <laughs> no, no. All from my staggering genius. Thank I you. It. Thank I you very it. much. 10% beer, everybody. No, actually, mostly no. <clears throat> I think the kind of vibe he gives 
uh, I think is probably pretty heavily cribbed from my dad, uh, who is a Vietnam vet and an ex-cop. So like, you know, and I thought that's, that's probably about the vibe, but that's also a vibe that I find common to a lot of hoary old police officers and, you know, people, Vietnam people vets, like that, back, there's a, there's a yeah. quality they have. So I wanted that vibe in terms of biographical details. No, that there's, that's a little bit of Frankensteining where I've known like someone who was kind of like this, someone who was kind of like this. Um, but then me filling in the gaps with my imagination. So I can't, you know, I can take some creative credit, uh, probably most of it, but there are elements, again, it's almost like what I, the word I used before, the bootstrapping. It's like, well, what is, what is Ruben's vibe? Like, what's it like to sit and have coffee with him? It's like, well, probably a little bit like having coffee with my dad, you know, that kind of thing. But my dad was not a green beret, not a man in black. <laughs> Sorry. That's like, a, that's like something in wrestling where they tell you that your character somewhere lies around who you are as a person, hmm. just ramped up to 10. So just like amplify that. So uh, that's something for you guys out there. If you're having some troubles knocking down some details about your characters, I suggest looking at yourself, looking at someone in your family, like finding someone that you know that you know very well and then that way it's it's taking what you know and implementing that into your stories so like uh for for me there's a brother and sister dynamic in the second shift eddie and sarah um a lot of that is me growing up with two sisters so sarah is just a combination of both of my sisters and eddie is me they're all me to a degree but sarah is a lot of my sisters as well as a, a protective element of my personality so um, that's, that's something that people out, it's a bit of a cheat. Um, if you want to call it that, I don't think it's a cheat, I guess. It's a, uh, let's, let's use a different word. That's a, a shortcut. You know, you, you can get some core characters based off of your own personality or someone you know, and amplifying that, doing some Frankensteining, like Gary said, getting some elements like, okay, well, I did these things and I always wanted to do these other things. And that's something I want this character to do. And that's when you do your deep dive and you do some, you know, investigating, you hop on the Googles, you maybe talk to some people in that area and, uh, you know, you get some more information that way. I agree. I, I, I don't think there's any, look, I mean, it's a cliche, but this, the saying goes that all writing is autobiographical. Like you're pulling from something you're pulling from either aspects of yourself or people you know or people you imagine you know but it's all you like it's it's you coming out but i would suggest and i'd be i was curious what you guys thought i personally have the feeling that it's going to be very difficult to write interesting or uh logical characters logical in the sense not that they behave logically but that they make sense they fit together right and you can believe that this person can encompass all these qualities you've given them. Um, without being a, if not a fan of people, a keen observer of people. Like, I, I just don't know how you would do it otherwise. I think you really, and when I was thinking in preparation of this podcast, I was thinking about where, where you know, what am I drawing on when I'm trying to do this work, coming up with a character, designing someone, I've taken creative writing classes. I read a lot. I've read a lot. 
of comics and novels. I watch movies, like all that stuff. But I have to admit, I don't think anything has helped me as much as being an anthropology major <laughs> and a religious studies minor. I was a comparative religion minor. And like, I think that really get, put me in a place where I can try and break a person down into what is this person about? What motivates them? What do they care about? Why do they do the things they do? Real quickly, you can distill some kind of a framework and then start adding on personal experiences. This is a little bit like my mom. This is a little bit about like that guy I knew in school, like whatever you're, you, then you flesh it out with your personal experience. But I, I personally lean on a lot that ability to kind of just look at people and try and break down like what basically am I looking at here in an academic way? I don't know what you guys think what, uh, you need to write good characters. Yeah, I mean, my, I, 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 I've been thinking about a line that I heard in my one of my novel workshops, I think, which is, and I can't remember what novelist said it, writers are professional observers. As I've mentioned on previous podcasts, if you're an artist out there and you are doing your comic by yourself, well then congratulations, because you're the writer too. If you're a, a tour de force, like Frank Miller or like Gary Hodges, then you're both. So, so because of that, and I think even if you're on the artistic side and somebody else is doing the writing, so much of this writers are professional observers, creators are professional observers. How do you think you're getting all these poses? You know, you're, you're observing them. How do you think you're doing the facial expressions and things like that that are putting actual images to everybody else's writing? You know, it, it all plays in. So to your point, you know, I, I think we always start with ourself, our friends, people like that. As we start to get more confidence, it starts to expand out and you create some aspects out of the blue while you crib from others and it continues to expand. Yeah, and if you artists out there aren't doing that, if you have a lot of characters, especially in the background, just kind of standing around, not doing much of anything, it might be time for you to start doing some professional observing. Uh, look, at, look at people, just do some people watching, you know? Uh, go have go have a cup of coffee somewhere. Just just see how people interact, how people sit. Maybe do some sketches. You know, don't be a creep about it. Don't don't linger. But uh, you know, do some quick gestures. Get some body language down. And uh, you know, that's that's something that'll be helpful of your characters, your character drawing. Your and honestly, it's it's always good to uh, study humans and how they sit. You know, your people have a tendency. Artists have a tendency to draw like their own faces, for instance, like if you ask an artist to draw a nose, they'll draw their own nose, you know, without knowing it, they're going to draw their own nose because they see their own nose all the time. Every time they look in the mirror, brush their teeth, comb their hair, etc. Um, you know, and, and you might have a tendency to put your characters in the same way you sit, the same way you stand. Look how other people sit, how other people stand. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, back, back to the character thing, something else, again, we're kind of just going rapid fire round table now. I think, I think we could do 10, episodes on just character and not get to all the stuff we're talking about with character. But one other thing, since I know we're, we're already kind of probably hitting on some pretty, pretty long time here, Are we? is that uh, a character, you know, lead characters are how you start and kind of getting this idea of stair stepping down through each of the characters, but something to remember, like when Scott just said background characters, it reminded me of this, another line, which is, every character in your story thinks it's their story <laughs> you know no none of us none of us or and if we do we do it rarely 
none of us think that we are the uh, uh, assisting character in someone else's story. Okay, we are all the lead characters in our own story. Does that mean we can't be gracious human beings and give other people their shine when it's time? Of course, it's it's being it's called being a cool person. Everybody out there in your story, just like everybody out there in real life, is the lead character of their own story. That's something to always keep in your head. I just wanted to, I agree with that 100%. And I also wanted to toss in uh, some, Scott, something you said uh, made me think of something. Uh, I see a lot of artists really getting good at drawing big emotions, like draw someone screaming, draw someone sobbing, draw someone laughing, you know, like it's very like bad uh, acting 101 class. Um, and that's good that you need those fundamentals. But I would say at some point, especially if you want to start doing a comic, and especially if you want to do like a character fo focused comic, uh, do yourself a favor, take it from me, learn how to draw things like someone who's about to cry. Learn how to draw someone who's clenching their jaw because they're expecting to get into a fight. Learn how to draw, like there are subtle things that we all see as human beings. If you saw someone doing this, you knew exactly what they're about to do. You know what's going on with them. Try to be able to capture those things, not just the big, like the operatic stuff. Like that, and that's also where a lot of character stuff lies. That's where you start seeing things. Yeah, you, you do that really well. You do that very, very well. Uh, your female lead in 97 um, does a lot of that. There's a lot of face acting going on there and, and you can feel all of it. It's like, I know what she's thinking. You know, like I can tell uh, that that micro, you, you have a nice knack of capturing a micro expression um, and, and, and it perfectly fits what's going on in that scene. Yeah, yeah. But I think, but I think to that point too, and I, by the way, I agree. Um, but to that point as well, what, what Gary's saying, too, is, you know, histrionics, big emotions. How often do you really do that? You know, everybody listening out there, think about how often you actually do that. How often do you ball, ah, <laughs> you know, versus fight back a cry or or get welled up in a moment, you know, like the number of times that you have these subtle versions of emotions outnumbers by a huge proportion, the number of times where things get big, you know, very, very rarely do we find ourselves in a moment where things are getting big. And even if you take something like a couple arguing mm -hmm. very infrequently, actually it was on an airplane I was on recently where people started uh, actually hammering each other uh, in mid-flight as they were like <laughs> fighting each other and shit yeah southwest <laughs> airlines party people yeah baby but, uh, but yeah so that that does classy happen. classy but it's but it's much it's much more common for people to simply argue by throwing verbal darts back and forth and and that's where you get the subtlety and that's the kind of thing that gary is going for here and again it's 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 called real life and that's yeah. yes and if you do most of your story in that like if emotions range from one to 10 and you do most your story where most of us live in that kind of like three to six range, when you do do a nine, I mean, it hits. And like now you haven't blown that moment. Now you have that in your back pocket when you need to really deliver, you've got something as opposed to someone who's always writing in like the tens, like it's always big. It's always people are screaming at each other or having sex or fighting or, you know, like it's always big. Like if you try and just save that, that'll make it give that much more impact 
when you break it out. Yeah, and, and we're not saying to not practice those things. It's very important, um, especially for young artists. You do need to practice those big expressive moments as well. Um, I would say even when I was younger, I had a tendency where I thought it was a big action. And looking back at those older drawings, I'm like, she's barely emoting. Like I, like when I drew it, I thought it was big, but it wasn't. It's just like, man, everyone has giant eyes. Like everything, everybody looks shocked all the time. So um, definitely want to practice uh, all ranges, but very, it's like Gary said, not everyone practices those, you know, those, those, those little details, you know, fighting back a cry or a laugh or whatever the case. Um, and, and so make sure you're practicing all of those things when you're working on your comics. Well, yeah, this, uh, like Keith said, I think we're going, I mean, we're at a good time. We're about at 109, um, 115 based on my watch. We started roughly around seven. Um, but man, this episode flew by. What a joy. This was, this was a joy. Yeah, um, and really I wanted to catch up fly. with Gary's. Go ahead. Oh no, I really did fly. I was I I I think it's because I had a great time, and not because I'm drinking a ten percent beer. So. And I was trying to catch up to you because I finished my uh, my Louis Fruiton slushy, which I have no idea what the alcohol content is, and I moved to my my standard Kirkland hard seltzer. We went with lime today. I wanted to catch up. Dude, Star Wars and hard seltzer in the same episode. What will yeah, people man. do? You know? Look at that. Who's playing yeah. bingo at home? That's yeah. <laughs> Gary's. Gary's looking forward to listening to the playback of this episode so he can have some recollection of it. <laughs> <laughs> Not entirely incorrect. I love it. Okay. Well, I we said can... what? Yeah. <laughs> what did I do to what? I took mom? credit for writing Watchmen. That's okay. Weird. So so let's let's go off topic a little bit because I, I got a question for Gary and I got one right after yours. Go ahead. Okay, like so Scott and I, these last, like, I don't know, either 10 or every episode have talked about collecting books. Like, do you do you collect books? Uh, do you know, like, everybody can do different things. Maybe you buy current trades. Maybe you only buy current comics. Maybe you only buy digital comics. Like, what's your flavor there? I don't do digital at all. I'm old school in that way. Digital just does not do it for me. Even when I've done Kickstarters where they give you like, I first of all, I always opt for the print. I never do. If I'm backing someone, if I'm supporting someone on a Kickstarter, I'm always opting for uh, something paper. Lots of them, they'll throw in the digital. I have to admit that shit goes right in the trash. I don't care at all. <laughs> and even if I'll get that like a month before the print, it's fine. I'll wait for the print. I don't want it. I don't need it. Yeah, I, I don't care. Okay, so... Uh, I appreciate it. I appreciate anyone who's doing it, doing it. That's very cool. I will save myself for paper. Um, in terms of collecting, no, I, I've resisted. Mostly, the only time I've been tempted to collect is nostalgia. Uh, I was a big, uh, the, uh, the so-called RAH G.I. Joe fan back in the 80s and early 90s. And I do sometimes think about, boy, I would love to have, you know, just a complete set of perfect GI Joe, you know, and in, 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 in a long box, and I, at any time I could go and read Snake Eyes Origins or Silent Interlude or whatever I want, and boy, boy, wouldn't I be happy. I could just lay on the ground and read Snake Eyes stories like I was a kid again. Um, that I resist, because I know that's money. Um, in terms of my contemporary comic buying, you can see a lot of it on the stack right there. I yeah. am a Fantagraphics 
geek fanboy. Like mm. it's terrible, 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 terrible. Cause it's not cheap. Yeah. But I would say like in the spectrum of comics, I kind of fall in the, it reminds of me of the what's indie conversation we had months ago. Um, I, where I was saying like a lot of times people, what they are calling indie is really just more like art house comics. Um, and we kind of had a laugh, ha ha ha, art house comics. Cause we all know what we mean. Mm -hmm. I have to admit, like, I kind of like art house comics and that's a lot of what you see up here is, um, I, I like, gotta, a I lot. gotta get that monster still, by the way, that thing's just looking at me. Yeah. It's good stuff. Yeah. And, uh, I'm in terms of like, if I have preferences, I kind of like European comics. I kind of like retro European comics. Like I, I've been really digging back into my tardy stuff. Um, and I'm kind of an old school guy. You know, I cut my teeth, like I bought, like I said, G.I. Joe and X-Men and all that stuff when I was a kid in the eighties. But really most of my comic knowledge was, my dad was a little bit of a comic geek, but he was obviously a fan of, a prior generation. So I was reading a lot of his old stuff. I was reading Prince Valiant and I was reading old EC comics and I was like that kind of stuff. So that's kind of my, that's what's close to my heart is, you know, Bernie Wrightson and, and Al Williamson and, you know, stuff like that. Like I love that old school classic ink stuff. Um, Flash Gordon and Prince mm -hmm. Valiant and things like that. So Okay. So yeah, your tastes skew more towards like the, Let's go with like the boutique hardcover, right. you know. Yes. You know, I mean, Fantagraphics is such a great way to say it because like yes. Fantagraphics is about quality packaging, some new comics, some old comics presented in like a really high level package yes. that allows you to enjoy it and also keep it as like a bookshelf item. It's a little bit like saying corn nuts and old spice. It just sums up, you know, exactly where <laughs> yeah, I'm at. Where I'm, like, I'm, I'm trolling the Fantagraphics new releases and like, ooh, yes. that sounds cool. Yeah, yeah totally. I went to uh, SoCal Comics uh, last week and they have a table as soon as you walk in. It's their free section. They'll put posters, you know, whatever. Um, they had a stack of these old books, uh, oh. illustrated. So they were just sitting there for free. And I said, hey, what's... You know, I was checking out. I said, hey, what's what's going on with these books here? And they're like, oh, we're just getting rid of them. You know, they're they're too old. They're kind of falling apart or whatever. And uh, I was looking at it. And I'm like, hey, do you mind if I grab a couple? And the owner, Jamie, he's just like, take them all. I was like, OK, so for I, I grabbed for free. That's amazing. Let me show it just because you're showing me that. Marco Polo. You missed it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, all that is is comic versions of famous novels in a lot. Of yeah, places. it's still it's still pretty cool. And just yeah, to get them yeah. for free, it's 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 cool. That's crazy because I just picked up. I remembered these from my youth, and I recently tracked them down. It's the same kind of concept. Oh, nice, uh, nice. Like, drawn by um. Oh, what is the guy's name? Oh, see, now I'm feeling the 10%. He's a <laughs> Filipino pen and ink guy from back in the day. He did a lot of swamp. Alex thing. Nino? No, I think it's like, uh... oh, my God. <laughs> Got to love that 10%. 10%, man. <laughs> oh, well, while you're thinking about it. I will get the name, but whatever. But, I mean, yeah, it's like it's just old school. Oh, yeah. Really yeah, well so done. Nice. So clean. So clean, like these guys were masters. It was crazy, like the the level of work they were putting out on a 
relatively short time frame. Yes, that's the that's the kicker. It's like Amazing. we have we have some masters now. There's tons of artists out there that you look at their work and this the shit's going to hold up forever. You're like, this is amazing. This is, it's amazing now. It's going to be amazing forever. And yes. uh, uh, but it's the speed of the classic guys that that's so impressive. It's like the, it's the perfect line almost every single time. Um, it's just a masterpiece to look at. Um, let me ask my question before we get out of here. Uh, before, real yes. quick, his name is Nestor Redondo. Oh, okay. I, just, I just looked it up. I was ready for it. I, I had Redondo it. in my head, and I ten percent made me think like that's a made up name, right? That's yeah, not, like that's yeah. yeah, but no, it's Nestor Redondo. That was one of my D and D characters way back in the day. Yeah. I, yeah, I loved him, and no, and well, on your point, I have the artist edition of uh, Prince Valiant. It's as big as a tombstone. It probably will be my tombstone because I'll die <laughs> with no money because of it. But um, yeah, it's he did full page pen and ink, you know, this like knights and king arthur like arthurian legend kind of comic mm -hmm. once a week cranking out a full page of something where any one of those if i had drawn that it would be in my portfolio piece forever and i would feel like i never had to draw again yeah you know? it's, it's amazing yeah. um so my question's way quicker what's okay. your favorite what's your favorite chip <laughs> my favorite chip boy that's a good one let me think yeah we've that. already established keith is lays original no, it's actually not i i need to i need to amend mine but it's okay pretty all right so yeah. gary go ahead what's yours you know what i like i like uh i actually have a bag of them in the kitchen right now i don't know if they have them in california i bet they do it's packy it's the same company that does the one chip challenge chips i don't okay. know if you've seen that yeah mm -hmm. uh it's it's like corn tortilla chips but they're spicy and they're like, there's a whole range of spice and you, you know, I like that upper end. I like spicy food. So there's oh, a, okay. a haunted ghost pepper Pocky chip. That is, it's good stuff. It's really good stuff. I, I can send each of you guys a bag if you like spicy food. I do. I do like spicy food. I, I do. take send mine to Scott. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Keith, what's yours? Uh, so I, I guess if I'm getting really specific, I happen to like Jimmy John's thinny chips as my number one potato chip because it's okay. like my one potato chip treat. But and 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 while my favorite actual chip is not Lay's, it's it's wavy Lay's. <laughs> so I guess that sort of counts. You're so but, fancy. But in in the terms of rich character things, what I really like are pretzels and Trader Joe's crunchy curl, curls, which are you might as well just like it might as well have heroin in it. Uh, Trader Joe's makes these lentil things called crunchy curls that are absolutely incredible and I cannot stop eating them. Nice. Mine is Ruffles, Cheddar, and Sour Cream. Mm -hmm. That's my shit. I love them. Mm -hmm. um, me and my girlfriend were at the store the other day. I don't eat chips a lot because I look at chips and then I get fat. Um, right. I don't even have to eat them. Uh, but under underrated Funyuns. Funyuns are so underrated. And we were trying to figure out what chips to grab and I was like, God damn if I don't love a Funyun. And she's like, I really like Funyuns too. So that was definitely up there. Well, if we're going to talk guilty pleasure chips, I I hate it, but I, I hate that I like them, but I love Pringles. And I, there's yeah, something- Pringles, I love Pringles. And there's no something shame. very boyish about my love for them where it's like, I love that I'm getting chips in a can. I love that these chips are stacked and they fit mm -hmm. together. I love that I can maybe have two perfectly nestled chips at once. Like it's so dumb that I'm enjoying yeah. this, but I really am. It's I not really dumb. Am. No, it's human can nature. I, can I tell a stupid unrelated story for a second? Always. Please. So this isn't my story, but I treat it as mine. 
is that uh, back in the day when I was, we practiced all the time with Big Pimp Jones, you know, we had what's called a lockout, you know, which is a, a practice space where you pay a monthly rent, you get a key, and then you keep all your equipment there, right? So uh, I wasn't at the lockout this time, but my bassist was there practicing with his death metal band. And apparently they were, they were like hanging out in the lobby of this place. And a person starts walking in and I guess he had thought, my bassist had thought, Chris had thought originally that the dude was, um, was like in a band because he started rhyming. Um, it turns out he was homeless, right? So he's he's sitting there rhyming and he does a rhyme. So whenever you said sour cream, I think of the fact that the, that the guy apparently one of his rhymes was was sour cream and bitch. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, anyway, <laughs> then he apparently emphasized it over and over again. He just kept saying it <laughs> like like uh, like Randy Watson with sexual chocolate. He just kept going like sour cream and bitch. <laughs> anyway, that, that was the money line. That was yes. the line. Just yeah. I mean, it's, it's a money line. It's, it's, it's the hook. It, I think of it 25 years later. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I love it. That's great. All right. We're going to wrap it up. And before we get to that, I just want to say my Kickstarter is live. Go search second shift on kickstarter.com uh uh we'll have a link to that too hopefully under this episode yeah, so look for the it. look for the kickstarter that's live that's going to be your giveaway <laughs> right <laughs> yeah because there are second shift, make sure you're typing two nd not s-e-c-o-n-d that is a very specific thing that you need to do so it's a two nd so look for second shift on kickstarter.com gary where can they find you online the two easiest and best places to find me. Uh, first, I'm trying to push people toward my YouTube. That's why I'm emphasizing the videos more. I'm on there just with my name, Gary Hodges. You'll know you found me because my profile picture is a cartoony tyrannosaur eating an alien. So you'll know that's me. Uh, otherwise, you can find me on Instagram under dinosaurs versus Marsbots, dinosaurs vs Marsbots. Um, that has a link tree. It'll take you every other place. So. If you want to find everything I'm doing, go to the Instagram. If you want to watch videos and see what's this guy about, go to YouTube. Are you are your books currently sold out? I can't remember. I am currently sold out, but I'm planning on a restock in time for Christmas. So if people are thinking maybe they want to read it or they want to get copies for friends, the best thing to do would be to follow me on Instagram and YouTube. And then you'll know as soon as uh, stock is on the way. Yeah, and, and I know you don't like them, but do you have digital copies available for those who do? I do not. I do not because you need I'm to get on it, buddy. Snob. I'm an Gary, Gary's oh just no, he's gosh. like, okay, okay. This is just, this is my place. I'm standing here. <laughs> That's right. I'm I'm serving you dinner, and we're gonna have it at the table. You can't sit on the goddamn couch. You're gonna yeah. have it at the table, and exactly. that's which. Put yeah. your fucking phone down. That's right. right. Exactly. You're eating. you're having dinner in my house. In <laughs> my house. No digital comics here. I respect. <laughs> I respect the uh, the hate for the digital. Um, I like the digital myself. It is a uh, free money essentially because you create the PDF anyway. So then you just send that out to the people and it costs you nothing. So I do like that. Keith, where can they find you online? So online, you can find me at KeithRFoster.com. You are never going to believe this, but I actually updated the site last weekend a little bit. Oh, shit. Oh. I know. I know. Call I put, my priest. I, I know. Did hell freeze <laughs> so over? I did that a little bit. I did a little bit. Um, and who knows? I might even submit a, an article to iHorror one of these days because it's been like four months. So, uh, you know, I, I, I can't wait to get back on that. 
Um, so you can find me at keitharfoster.com. There's a store. But more importantly, you can find me in person when this airs. If you are in Southern California and you are going to Comic-Con Special Edition, because I think that's going to be a great time. And I think there are many people out there that don't realize they want to go to Comic-Con Special Edition right now. But they're going to because you're going to be sitting around. You're going to be like, wait a minute. Why did I not want to go to a special edition of Comic-Con just because it was Thanksgiving weekend? Like, Thanksgiving is a Thursday. Like, Friday, maybe you want to, like, get in a knife fight for an Xbox at Walmart. <laughs> I, I, I like getting in knife fights at Walmart anyway, right? I don't need an Xbox as a reason. But, Very like, common. so we get it, right? Like, like you eat dinner with your with your family, um, or, or your friends or whoever matters to you on, on Thursday, right? Or if you're listening overseas, you don't give a shit about Thanksgiving because that's how it goes, right? And then Friday, by all means, get in that knife fight. Shit, I might even fight you if you're in the right one, right? <laughs> but when it comes to the weekend, you might be sitting around in Southern California like, I'm going to go to Kunk, right? So you can find me there. And uh, hopefully I will have some three protectors ash cans by then. And if not, well, then I really hope to have some at Emerald City Comic Con in Seattle. So if you're on the West Coast and you're listening to this and you want to come to comic conventions, please stop by. Say hi in person and uh, and we can chop it up a little bit. And uh, unfortunately, I have my Saturdays reserved for fistfights at uh, Southwest. So you won't find me there. But you can find my articles on ihor.com, which is my reviews on great porn. <laughs> I'm just kidding. None of those things are real. Uh, you can find my comics at accidentalaliens.com. Uh, look for Second Shift, A Tale of Minimum Wage Workers During the Day, Superheroes at Night, and Anthropomorphic Dinosaurs versus Humans. That book is Wanders of Milisanda. I did that out of order. Um, don't forget, the Kickstarter is live until December 1st. I put it until 12.30 noon-ish on uh, December 1st there, so make sure you back that. I love the people that love digital, unlike Gary, who hates you. And you can find digital rewards, 1 through 12, for 15 bucks. And I'm going to throw in uh, the 2021 ash can of Drawtober, like Keith is making. But mine's digital. Yeah. If you want a physical digital. copy, like Keith's, there is also a tier for that. So make sure you do that. You can get caught up. If you're already caught up and you just need the new issues, those are there, too. So, um, and if you want, uh, so issue 10 is the second part of the taxiderma storyline. If you haven't read the first part, buy the first tier. I think it's 16 bucks, four bucks shipping. So 20 bucks out the door. You can add on issue nine and you can get the first part of that two part story. So thank you guys for listening to this episode of Making Comics. We'll see you guys soon. And uh, yay, yay. I thought that was, that was good, right? That was maybe, really maybe fun. Yeah, the more how would I know? But it seemed like it was good. The more we drank, the better it got. It was good. <laughs> it was good. I kept it pretty even. I haven't, I haven't, you know, interfaced with a computer poorly. Uh, I, yeah, man, I, I had my seven percent, so I kept it kind of even keeled.
I don't know how much I had. They seriously don't put <laughs> alcohol content on these. Dude, that, this is the I, third week in a row you drank one of those fucking things. Yeah, thought, it's, it's the I last one. I thought you one. had to. I thought you had to have it somewhere. I guess not. I mean, I think they're supposed to, but it's definitely not prominent on this can anywhere. Uh, and I'm looking at like all the indicia and stuff, and I'm not seeing it at all. So I, I like legit think they don't do it. Yeah, I do cool. recommend this if you like the scent. That's the sound of a stout that tastes like oatmeal cookies. I would say for sure get this. Dude, that's that sounds amazing. It sounded really good. That it's that vanilla stout I had the birthday the party cake stout was incredible. You know, maybe like, me it was and Daniela so will take a trip uh to one paseo over the weekend and I'll, I'll grab a glass i hope they still have it you know they rotate their shit in and out so fast yeah it's true but uh but yeah man so hey gary uh, so yeah. it's bothering me okay. i i remember i've been in a town where the brewery is and i didn't uh-huh. get a chance to go what town is it in which brewery the brewery it says it on the can oh oh yours <laughs> yeah yeah yours <laughs> oh you mean you mean the brew with no w uh yeah. let's see and I probably got up to the 10, by the way. I'm like, this oh, has got to at least be a five. Yeah. And then this Oh, here we the, go. It's um, Placentia, California. Oh, that's oh, it. Yeah, it's, dude, it's right fucking next to me. It's yeah. right next to me, dude. Wow. There you go. Okay. Yeah, Pl- Placentia is like, is like oh, a placentia? three minute drive okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Not to that's... be confused with Placenta. Well, yeah. I was, I, yeah. I think I said Placentia, but I, I've never heard of it. So yeah, where is it? Dude, I, okay, so depending on how well you, okay, do you know where Anaheim is? Yes. Right around there. I, oh. I, I work in Brea, which is uh, 10 minutes up the, up the freeway from uh, Anaheim. Placentia is one of the towns right around there. Oh, I, I, would, okay. I would imagine that at my office, I am no more than a 15-minute drive from that place. Chase it down. I can tell you the only reason I'm, I, I got about two thirds in. The only reason I'm slowing down is because it's getting warm. It's mm. not that, you know, so like it, I might yeah, not, they're not great when they, those get warm for sure. No, no, this yeah. is one that you want cold. I'm happy the weather. I'm a stout guy. I listen to you guys talk about your beer every week <laughs> and I, I'm very much a stout and malty guy. Mm. Which means I'm always waiting for the weather to cool off because that's kind of gross when it's Dude, 115. It's ex- exactly why I went with this instead of, you know, these I got these goddamn bourbon barrel stouts sitting in my in my portable cellar fridge that I want to get to. But yeah. I can't do it when it's 90 today. No, that's no good. That's that's not a, good. That's, uh, that's writer Gary shit right there. Like you guys are falling in line with your Star Wars love and your beer. Look at you. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that's you know, again, we we got Gary back on, but he was still writer Gary. Yeah. We didn't get a chance to still get writer right. Gary drawing Gary. Like I said, December it'll be drawing Gary. Oh, I like man. it. Yeah, we'll have. There's a little bit it. though. Drawing Gary did say like you know learn how to draw in between expressions. True. You True. know, don't just learn how to draw screaming and crying and you know like totally. totally. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I wasn't kissing your ass. That shit's like legitimately good. I I'm really appreciate that. It's really because solid stuff. Especially in 97, like it had to be on point because it's so much like it's. They're it's in a room. Like you're talking about the talking head stuff. You've got a girl in a room with nothing going on to make that interesting. Like I, I needed the hand acting and the face acting and she needed like smoking, like, you know, and it needed to look like someone who actually smokes. <laughs> it couldn't. So, you know, yeah. it, there was a lot to make that work. So I appreciate that a lot. It's it was it was. The trickiest, heaviest lift of 97 was getting Jenny right. Yeah. Way more than drawing dinosaurs or alien war machines or any of that stuff was like Jenny has to be interesting and compelling to look at 
even if she's just sitting handcuffed in a white cell, you know? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I, I, I'm annoyed I didn't mention this while we were recording, but like, I think I've told you, I really do see a huge parallel between D versus M and like early Bendis, right? Which is, um, wow. AKA, are you familiar with his early shit? Like AKA Goldfish and Jinx? A little yeah. bit, but wow, I never would have thought of that. Comparison. Oh God, yeah. I mean, again, it's it's definitely what you know, but he did that, he did. Uh, so if, if you have a chance to do AKA Goldfish or Jinx or Torso, which might be my favorite because torso is a, is a historical fiction based on a famous um, unsolved serial killer in Cleveland named the butcher of Kingsbury run. Uh, it's dude. Torso might be the best one, but AKA goldfish is the one I think of the most when I, I think, think I'd be interested in all three. Like I love, yeah, and they're all black and white. Like you, you know, like oh, fantastic. Because, because he was drawing all three, I think at the time, or at least drew one of them. Um, so yeah, man. That's part of the thing with me and comics. And and I'm like, I trust both you guys. Uh, I have to admit, because I, I maybe we've talked about this before. So I was into comics when I was a kid. And then the Nintendo Entertainment System landed. Mm. <laughs> that sucked all the oxygen out of my geek room, you know, where like, I just want like, that's what it was all about. And now that I'm coming back to comics, um, it's a little bit why I've never gotten into anime. I look at anime and I think I can tell I'd be very into that, but I have no fucking idea where to start. You know, it's just oh. so big. I don't even know where to go. So if you guys ever had, like, I just wrote down the ones you said, if you guys ever had ideas, like, I think you dig this comic, let me know. Like, I would snap it up. The problem is, it's like, I'm going in and like, there's 80 million comics out there and I don't know what to buy. Right. Uh, so I can recommend my favorite, but my first question to you is, do you like dark shit? Yes. Death Note. Death Death Note is not okay. only my favorite uh, manga. You're talking about it, manga, right? The comic. Sure. Um, sure. Um, yeah. It's not only my favorite manga of all time. It's one of my top five stories of all time. Okay. I absolutely love it. So I'll recommend one, and I bet Scott wants to recommend one too. Yeah. Well, are you looking strictly for for uh, manga, or do you want anime as well? Whatever. Any of it. Oh, okay. Like, yeah. So, anime, so, comics, manga, anything. Yeah. So, for Death Note, read the comics, read the manga. Um, yeah. Or try the first one. It's ten bucks. You can probably find it on Amazon. Okay. Yeah. Um, Akira, it, have you seen? Have you? I have this? seen the movie. Okay. I haven't read the manga. The, the I haven't read the manga either. I have okay. the manga, but I have it in a box set, and I'm oh. just the collector in me goes like, "Don't touch it." <laughs> is it that really cool so one that pretty. came out in the past few years i saw a giant it's right there under my cream abdul jabbar ball yeah it's massive. i think it's, i've it's seen nine volumes isn't it or eight volumes yeah, yeah. and it yeah. comes with a, a secondary book called the cura club which is like people's um they're they're like pieces to atomo it's like a love letter to atomo okay. and it's pretty badass i actually have a dark horse version of it um Actually, right under there, you'll say Akira Club. Uh, oh, no, no. Akira Club is, it actually gives, like, all the different versions. Like, he sketches out the cover, so it gives you all the thumbnails and shit and okay. the preliminary sketches. And then there's another one. It's Tribute to Otomo. That's the one that has all of the, the pieces where everyone's, in the name of the title, Tributing to Otomo. Um, okay. so, so that's number one. You can find the um, paperback, I think, for about 20 bucks. Okay. But the, the art is amazing. You're a very detailed artist. Uh, you're going to love that. Just the look okay. of that. Uh, manga wise, or I mean, uh, anime wise, yeah. watch uh, One Punch Man is amazing. Okay. And as is Attack on Titan. 
Attack on Titan, I do. I ha- Yeah, it's great. It's amazing. Yeah. Okay, so I you have that. seen it? I have seen Attack on Titan. Yeah. I, I kind of love One, Pan- one Punch Man a little bit more. So, really? Yeah. Okay. Well, let, me, let me throw it's a one. different kind of story. Sure. But, but it's for sure really good. I'll throw one on the fire too, which, okay. uh, and, if, and if you're about to watch the live action that's coming out soon, don't. Um, okay. Cowboy Bebop is acknowledged as you know one what? of the absolute masters of anime. The best thing about Cowboy Bebop is I can't remember how many, it's either 20, 23 or 26 episodes, and then it's done, right? Like, and they're on Netflix now, right? Not, not the live action, but I think the so, anime one is on there too. I think so. I think yeah. so. Um, again, yeah, I usually have, have a dub my, and subtitle. Yeah. They usually have two options. Yeah, my wife wants to watch it and I have a Blu-ray laying around her somewhere. What, uh, when it comes to, I know it always varies. When it comes to Cowboy Bebop, what's the way to go? Dubbed or subtitled? Oh, that's your your preference. What do you like? Okay, well, sometimes there's like a dramatic, you know, like I I remember everyone's been saying what's I haven't watched Squid Game. To be honest, I'm not very interested in Squid Game, but I've heard people say like the this uh, the dub is not good. Really? Because I don't I don't believe them because I like the dubbed. Oh, really? Okay. There's some there's some scenes where I'm like, that legitimately look like what he just said. Yeah. Like, oh, like because you because, you know, it's like I grew up on Kung Fu June. I used to watch Kung Fu movies all the time with my uncle. Me so too. I'm used to dub. Dub doesn't bother me. When the oh, lips, I love dub. I yeah, love the when, when the lips that. don't mm-hmm, when the lips don't line up. It doesn't bother me at all. But wow. honestly, they did such a good job on Squid Games. Uh, Squid Games, in my opinion, yeah. And I was just like, this is great. Like that. I sound, was hearing that looks exactly like what he said. It, it wasn't like no that that wasn't the complaint was that maybe the translation's not great. Oh, yeah. okay. Uh, that I have no like. Well, yeah, I, I don't speak Korean, so I don't yeah, speak I, Korean I, either. Exactly, so. and that's I. This I was just having this conversation with somebody at work today. It, it it's a little bit of a bristling point when people like. So there's this great restaurant here. Um, there's a it's like a four or five restaurant chain. It's called Panda Inn. If it sounds familiar, it should because Panda Express came from Panda Inn. Panda mm-hmm. Inn is actually like a nice sit down restaurant with Szechuan. Right. I think it's the Szechuan food, the food that we consider Chinese, right? Like Americanized Chinese. Right. Panda Inn is incredible. I ate like a pig last night and I have tons of leftovers and I, I ate like leftovers like a pig today and I'll eat leftovers like a pig tomorrow. You, that sounds so good right now. Now yeah. that I'm a little, it's but, like, but like oh the God. thing is that like there's this whole like like there's this other place called Din Tai Fung, which is an amazing dumpling house. Scott, if you've never been, come up and we'll go to Din Tai Fung. It's okay. fucking amazing. Yeah. Um, but there's like this whole like, oh, it's not real Chinese. It's Szechuan Chinese food. Like, how is that not real Chinese? I get it. I get it because of somebody out there might think that like it's an Americanized Chinese, but like it's, it, it's the, yeah, it's the type that caught on in America. I guess it beat chicken feet over here. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> well, but, yeah. right? but that's the thing, like people like that, in my opinion, where it's like, it's not real and they get that elitist nonsense about them. Well, you like, know? this is a little dad punny, but like, what does it have to do with the price of tea in China? I mean, like, yeah. like, you know what? I love Jack in the Box tacos. If anyone comes up and said like, you know, that's not really an authentic Mexico City taco. It's no shit. Sure. Of course did it's you, not. Did you think yeah. I thought I was getting a real Mexican? <laughs> you think it's like I'm having, yeah, authentic Mexican tonight. Also, yeah. I, yeah. I know a couple of people personally that have been to China and like three or four. Everyone said Chinese food sucks. Like their food legitimately <laughs> yeah. sucks over there. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, that's, yeah, but that's thank the goodness. Thing, but it's not authentic. Panda Inn, as far as I know, was was formed by two, a married couple from China. They then made recipes in the form of their hometown dishes. 
would somebody please explain to me how that's inauthentic? You know? And to me, it's almost like I'm thinking like anthropology brain again. Authenticity, like that's interesting academically. Like, yeah. you know, but I mean, in terms of like, if I just want to have something that's delicious. Yeah. Like, it doesn't really matter to me. Like, is someone eating this in Beijing right now? Like, who cares? Yeah. Like, yeah, exactly. is it good? You know, I, I yeah. can see the appeal. Like, I've thought lots of times, like, I don't know, like, there's a couple Ethiopian restaurants here. And it's like, that sounds cool just to go and have where you sit around and you don't use utensils and you, you know, like you, it's like, oh, that sounds cool. But that's like an academic thing. I want authentic yeah. Ethiopian experience like the food but sometimes i want a new york style egg roll like this fat giant ridiculous egg roll that i know they don't have over there and but yeah. that's what i want because it's yeah, totally yeah, yeah right exactly. yeah, i'm with that that's like uh oh, fuck what was i gonna say damn all this beer you drank, I, yeah you drank was, gary's yeah. beer yeah well yeah, yeah i drank two of them so i'm like i'm equivalent to what gary is at yeah uh yeah, yeah. oh oh yeah that, that was my thing it's like some days all you want to do is go to fucking del taco like you just want some deluxe chili cheese fries a crunchy taco and a bean and cheese burrito you right. know it's not real mexican food that's not what you went there for you went there for del taco exactly i live in san diego it's the best mexican food in the united states in my opinion mm -hmm. i i know when i go to a taco shop i'm gonna get some delicious ass mexican food and when i go to del taco i know i'm gonna get some delicious ass del taco and right. that's how it is yeah, totally. I know where to get a beef cheek taco and like, and it'll be amazing. But sometimes I want a Jack in the Box taco. Sometimes mm -hmm. I want just a crispy Taco Bell taco because that's yeah. exactly what I want. And, and you know, if you're not getting them with ranch, Gary, at Jack in the Box, I suggest you do it. When they yeah. say, do you want hot sauce? You go, can I get some ranch? Ranch instead. Yes. Yes. They call it buttermilk. House okay. Buttermilk. I'm, so I'm going to sure do, do it. I'm going to do it for you, but I'm going to let you know that I kind of feel the same way about ranch people as I do about digital comic people. I really am just, they should put them all in camps. Like I, so, but for you, because I trust you, I like, all right, I'll try a side of ranch. Like I'll try that. Sure. Yeah. I'm so I'm happy. I'm, I'm, I'm so happy. I'm still recording. <laughs> <laughs> This all got oh, wait, recorded. Still recording? Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, I, I, I never stopped off. recording. I'm like, oh, this shit's about to come out. I'm going to finish that beer for sure. Oh, I love it. Actually, yeah. that might that might be a, not a bad little clip. Yeah. Honestly, yeah. we everything we've talked about since we've ended the episode has been. Pretty yeah, we'll just go bonus time. Okay. That's, I think it's yeah. better that we didn't think we were recording. Yeah. yeah. It might be good stuff. Hey, random random thing, Scott and Gary, you might know from listening, but like, uh, so dude, I just got my ship notification for my Fantastic Four Forty Nine slapped. Oh, nice! Right on. So. Let let the let the tension begin for me to see uh, what it ends up coming back as. Oh, how exciting! Yeah, I know, I know. That's extremely they, exciting. They definitely they definitely sell the sizzle by just saying like, "Here's your ship notification." Yeah, that's great. We're not going to tell you what we fucking gave it. Great. You're just going to have to open up that box and figure it out, brother. You know what's, what's the shipping speed? When are you going to get it? Um, that's a good question. Let me. I, I <laughs> think I paid. I mean, I ended up paying so so much. That I think uh, express. So oh, okay, pretty quick. I have to figure out what the hell that is. It's just oh, a tracking ID. So I, I, next week, early mid next week. Yeah, probably, probably early next week. So we'll see. Nice, that's awesome, cool. man. All right, dudes. Sweet. All right, I'll talk to you guys later.